This is the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks on KTV with expert advice from CPA, attorney, and retirement and estate planning expert Jim Lang, the best-selling author of Retire Secure and The Roth Revolution, Pay Taxes Once and Never Again. Now on the air and online worldwide at paytaxeslater.com. Get ready to talk smart money. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. I'm David Baer, here in the KQV studio with Jim Lang, CPA, attorney, and author of two best-selling books, Retire Secure and The Roth Revolution, Pay Taxes Once and Never Again. Today's show will focus on a potential change in IRS tax laws that could be devastating for many listeners. Looking for revenue, Congress is again considering limits on retirement accounts to prevent inherited tax benefits from compounding over several generations. Is this the end of the stretch IRA? To provide some perspective on the issue, we are pleased to welcome America's top IRA expert, Ed Slott, back to the Lang Money Hour. Named the best source for IRA advice by the Wall Street Journal, Ed hosts two popular websites, irahelp.com and The Slot Report. He's authored many best-selling books, including two classics, The Retirement Savings Time Bomb and How to Defuse It, and Retirement Decisions Guide, Ways to Save and Stretch Your Wealth. He also has a new book called Fund Your Future. He writes personal finance columns for several publications and presents continuing professional education IRA seminars across the country. His Retirement Rescue TV special runs on many PBS stations around the country, including WQED. Listeners, Stay tuned for an interesting and informative hour. And with that, I'll say hello, Jim, and welcome back, Ed. Welcome, Ed. Great to be here. Great to be back on the show again, back in the Pittsburgh area. Well, David's introduction is, abs- is, is accurate and probably doesn't go far enough. And just, just so the audience gets a perspective, Ed is the most popular IRA and retirement plan writer and speaker in America today. Um, it is, for many people, it is by far the favorite show that I do when, I, when Ed is on. Um, Ed sells more books, commands a higher speaking fee, is always entertaining, uh, enjoys national recognition for millions of viewers for, for PBS, and is always on the cutting edge um, with his newsletter, which, which I've been subscribing to for years, talking about what is the most recent thing going on um, for listeners and for viewers and for readers. And Ed, one of the areas that you wrote about, and it seems we had a heck of a scare, is the area of the potential death of the of the stretch IRA. Now, when I think of the stretch IRA, I kind of almost think of you as the the father of education for the American public of the stretch IRA. Could you give our listeners a, an idea of what the stretch IRA is and the jeopardy that we thought we might have seen in the potential change for the stretch IRA? Well, I guess the good news is they can't take it out of the tax code because it doesn't exist in the tax code. It's just <laughs> the name everybody's made up, the stretch IRA. Some companies call it multi-generational IRA. And it's really just the ability, which is in the tax code, for a beneficiary, say a 40-year-old or even a one-year-old, to inherit an IRA, but instead of getting taxed on it all at once, 
they can take distributions over their life expectancy, only having to take a minimum amount each year. So that's where the term stretch comes from. They could stretch it or extend distributions over their lives to make it last a long time. So, for example, a one-year-old who inherits could stretch it or extend the tax deferral over 80 years. So that really could snowball into some big money and provide a legacy for beneficiaries for the rest of their lives if they only take the minimum. And, and, now, and... When, when that was set up, that was actually set up by IRS. Uh, in the code, there was the ability to have a life expectancy method, which we all call the stretch IRA because it's easier to understand that way. But IRS, when they wrote the rules, believe it or not, expanded the use of the stretch IRA to the point where any beneficiary can get it as long as they're named on the beneficiary uh, on the IRA beneficiary form and they're a human being which means they have a pulse and a birthday so you have because you have to be a human being only a human being has a life expectancy a charity doesn't have a life expectancy or an estate or certain trusts so if you have a life expectancy you get the stretch IRA which turns the IRA not only into a retirement vehicle, but into an estate planning vehicle as well. And it's even more powerful if it's a Roth IRA, because Roth IRAs don't have required minimum distributions during the Roth IRA owner's life. So even at 70 and a half, where a traditional IRA owner will have to start taking distributions at bringing the fund balance down, a Roth IRA owner can let it keep growing and growing in his estate. It will be included in the estate, but then when the beneficiary takes over, he's likely to take over a much higher balance. He does have to take required distributions, even a Roth beneficiary does, but they could still stretch it over their lives, and it's more likely that every one of those payments for the rest of their lives will be tax-free, income tax-free for life. So that's a pretty good deal. But here's what you're talking about, and it's not even that new. It just comes up new every year. Congress never intended this. Congress intended a retirement account to be for one life, for your life, for your retirement. They never intended IRAs to live to grow to these large balances that some people have. And in case you're wondering, if you're listening now and you're wondering, how do people get 400000 500000 2, 3 million in an IRA? Well, they didn't do it with contributions of 2000 3000 or even 5500 or 6500 a year. They did it. The big chunks probably came in when they rolled their company plan, their 401k or their 403b, uh, that which represented a lifetime of savings at their job, into an IRA, which put chunks in there. And Congress, when they wrote the rules for IRAs, never really intended or never even thought of the possibility that this money would outlive the IRA owner. And that's why IRS had to write rules to what happens if there's money left over. When IRAs, and the reason they never intended, they never thought about the possibility, Congress, is if you go back in the history of IRAs, they started out of the 1974 ERISA law. And at that time, uh, pensions... People were losing their pensions. Companies would file bankruptcy, and people that thought they had pensions coming to them found out they, they worked for 30 years for a company and ended up with nothing. So some activists, one of them being Ralph Nader, actually, at the time, 
came out and said, you know, somehow people should be able to take their pension money with them. Maybe they should have some sort of individual retirement account. And that's what it eventually got named, an individual retirement account. So when they set it up, they set it up worried because they were worried people would have nothing. They never thought people would ever have too much. They were worried about people running out of money, not having retirement money, and having other problems, maybe uh, running out of money, ending up on public assistance, and all kinds of related problems. So they never figured that into the mix. Then when the balances started jumping up with 401Ks coming out and big rollovers coming in, all of a sudden Congress said, look at these big balances. And back in the 80s, they added actually a tax on having too much money in an IRA. Then they went the other way. And then that one, there was another 15% excise tax. You remember that? I remember that one. I hated that. Yeah, yeah, it was a penalty for saving too much. First, they create a law because you didn't have anything. Then they realized they woke up one morning and look at this. <laughs> These people have too much money. Let's tax that. So <laughs> that's exactly what they did. That lasted for a while, maybe around 10 years, and they got rid of that excess tax. So that doesn't exist anymore. So now when they look for revenue, that brings us up to today, Congress, and this has been going on for years, I, I think this provision's been popping up for 10 years, which tells me it's probably going to happen at some point, because they have the rules written, and as you've seen, in all the proposals, they have all the rules written, and the proposal is, the heck with this stretch IRA, why do we care about beneficiaries? The point of the IRA was always to take care of the person who earned it, the retiree. It was never meant as an estate planning vehicle. So they basically said, look, if you don't use it in your lifetime, and this is not law, this is what they're proposing, and it never became law, but it comes up all the time as a revenue enhancer, and it would bring a lot of revenue in. They said, forget going out 60, 70 years, or even 10 years. We're going to force, if you don't use it during your lifetime, your IRA, it has to be cashed out in five years, period. Now, that is not law. What I just said is not law. The stretch IRA is still here. I just gave you some background of where it came from and what they were thinking. And now what they're thinking is, you know what? IRA, the R in IRA stands for your retirement, not your, reti your retirement, not your kids' or grandkids' retirement. And that's why they keep looking this at this as a source of income. And I think you will see it being flopped in somewhere because it's already written, ready to go. It was on the president's proposal list. It was on a bunch of other proposals that came out that never went anywhere. But like I said, the provision's already written and ready to be inserted at a moment's notice to pre as a revenue raiser. And, and this scares the heck out of me because and as, as an estate attorney who's drafted probably about 1,700 estate plans with a stretch IRA being an important component, and I have the cascading beneficiary plan that lets right i know you do that, that, that lets parents disclaim to children and children disclaim to grandchildren and grandchildren to disclaim to great grandchildren i've i've always wanted to stretch the heck out of this thing right but it was never intended for that when it came out that was not the intent it it was actually created believe it or not as a benefit for uh from from irs all right, so, so let's say that you It looks like you did a lot of estate plans in the last few weeks, because I have your last Lang report, and it says 1,500, so you did 200 in the last week or so. <laughs> yeah, we were a bit busy guy. I think, yeah. we, I think we just actually got an update. 
Um, so, or, or maybe I said fifteen hundred that included the stretch in seventeen hundred. All right, all right. Any, no anyway, what, 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 whatever. I just it is. want you to know I read the Lang report. <laughs> all right. Well, I do appreciate that. So, um, so, so let's say that, and I have a lot of clients, and Pittsburgh's a working town, and a lot of a lot of Pittsburghers, you know, they they're good family people. They raise their kids, they pay for their braces, they pay for their college, they pay the mortgage, they pay the car payments, and it's hard to accumulate money, but they're good, conscientious people. Um, they work for companies that stay around for a long time. So a lot of people have five, six hundred, a million, two million dollars in an IRA or a retirement plan, not much else. And for years, they have assumed that at their death, their kids would be able to stretch this thing out and their grandkids even, and it would be a very nice supplement. Um, they're worried about their kids. They're worried about their grandkids. And yes, this, this I call it the death of the stretch IRA, is, is not why yet. What should some of these people be thinking about now? Uh, here's the flip side of it. The government, as usual, will shoot themselves in the foot. Because now, if people that have advisors like you are hearing that, you know, the plan I had isn't going to happen, there's a lot of people out there that should be planning that are, and as we all know as professional advisors, that this will get them to do the planning they probably should have done. In other words, this will be a catalyst to taking action that will end up with the government getting less money and people getting more money. And people could have always done that. They just haven't gotten around to the planning. So here's what I would say to somebody if they've accumulated a lot of money and there's money that they're not going to spend right away or maybe even in their lifetime i would turn i would turn the tables and get a better benefit out of the tax code if the stretch is not going to be there and there's a couple of things also with the stretch as you know a lot of kids uh, or beneficiaries i should say kids grandkids may not use the stretch and may just cash it all out very quickly anyway and cause themselves a big tax cuz they just can't wait to get their hands on the money unless they have a trust set up or something. But there's a lot of people that are not going to use the stretch, even if it's there. So uh, one way to do that, if you have a big balance, especially at today's low rates, I would take a chunk of that balance down, pay the income taxes. Even today, we're in some of the lowest tax rates we've ever seen, and turn that into life insurance, an even better benefit, tax-free benefit than a stretch IRA. Now, you can leave tax-free life insurance and a lot more of it to the same beneficiary. You could do it through a trust or without, direct. And they get all this money and a lot more. Uh, actually, it could be five or ten times more than they would have gotten, and it'll all be tax-free. So in the, in the end, the government will have set in motion this, uh, these actions. It'll be a, ca a catalyst for people to do planning if they do that because that's going to get around that they killed the stretch IRA and smart people will do just like I said and end up having millions more than they ever had going to their beneficiaries tax-free for paying some tax up front and the government after all this who is the big loser will think they're the big winner because they're getting all the money from IRAs up front now people who like I just said cash it out same thing with Roth IRA conversions the government thinks they're a big winner because they get the money up front but on the back end they lose big and and taxpayers you know retirees and their families workers will will be the big winners so so basically what you're saying there there was the old strategy that we used to call pension rescue which was basically just what you said which yeah. was taking money out of an IRA paying tax on it taking the proceeds 
um, buying life insurance with the proceeds, often in an irrevocable life insurance trust. Mm -hmm. And the numbers that, you know, when you compared, the, let's say, the status quo of just maintaining the IRA, dying with the IRA, paying income and estate tax on the IRA versus how much money the heirs would get after taxes with the life insurance, the life insurance often made more sense. But now, if if that law does happen and there is no stretch, then there's some very, very clear benefits to exactly what you're saying, which is cashing in a portion of the IRA um, and then converting that into life insurance. Well, like I, uh, if you, I used the numbers that you just used. You said somebody has 500000 and they plan to maybe spend a lot of it, but not all of it during their lives. And they wanted to leave, the big plan was to leave some of it over to beneficiaries. Say so they want to leave 100000 over to beneficiaries. I would take 100000 down now. Uh, I would take, uh, you know, depending on what you need. So you might have to take 150000 to net 100 after taxes. Put 100 in a life insurance policy, then instead of the kids getting 100 they might get a million. It'll all be tax-free. So yeah. who's the big winner now? Well, well, I think that's a that's a, a very good strategy that that I've been looking at, and the other one um, is frankly but people probably wouldn't have done that if they weren't urged to action. If this thing goes through eventually, which I think it will, they, to end the stretch IRA, and the kids will inherit a better asset, no required minimum distributions, and no taxes. And and how does the Roth IRA conversions play in this? Does this become more? Oh, it will be now. less popular. That's another area where the government's going to lose. Because the people that I have, uh, our clients that are doing Roth conversions, the only reason I'm having older clients doing Roth conversions is for the estate planning. I would never have them do it if it had to be cashed out in five years. Let's say somebody's 70 years old. Because the cost of paying the tax up front isn't worth the benefit giving their life expectancy plus five years. So it would lower, it would diminish the amount of Roth conversions being done and make that less popular. Like I said, it would be the best thing, I think, that would ever happen to the life insurance industry. If these, if these rules are changed, how will spouses be affected? Well, spouses can always do a rollover, remember. So they can keep it going for the rest of their lives, uh, unless they, they were, it's a young spouse and they choose to be a beneficiary. And I'm sure they have, I think I've even seen some transitional rules for spouses where uh, they could keep it going for their lives. So spouses are generally not affected. They, they, they sort of, figuratively speaking, step into the shoes of the, uh, the deceased spouse and keep it going for their lives. All right. Well, that that is terrific information. Now, let me ask you this: Why, why don't you put your your uh, I guess genie cap on? Do you have any idea when this will happen? And do you think that there's well, a difference in, know, in the political parties it's out and there. who wins? And I know you've seen it uh, come up in every tax bill, but these have never become law. And I've actually spoken to the person at Treasury that puts this out all the time, and even the things that they really want are not becoming law. Like one of the provisions that's also out there is the provision to eliminate required minimum distributions for uh, older taxpayers who are who have less than seventy five thousand total in all their IRAs, and you don't see that happening either. And everybody wants that to happen. So it, it all comes down to when they actually have a bill that uh, they're, they're, it's going to end up in law. 
So this thing's, like I said, ready to just be inserted. Yeah, Cy Goldberg, you know, was telling me that, hey, this thing's going to happen. And he said, well, I'm trying to make it 20 years, not five years. But now, he- It'll be five years because uh, if they open the door for 20 years, that's what's the, you know, what are they doing, really? Okay. That means you have to keep track of it for 20 years, but you would have had to keep track of it all different years for all different beneficiaries. In effect, the five-year rule would cause people would throw people into action, like I said, and probably create a better plan where they have to keep track of less things. Well, I you think... You know, less, less holding periods. I, I actually think that's a, that's a great perspective, and I think that's one of the reasons why the country looks to you and your newsletter for the, the best up-to-date information and the best strategies. Um, David, do we have time to go on to the next topic? Well, we do we have, or, yeah, well right. we have an, actually, I had a question that I wanted to ask, which is, yeah. you know, given this consideration, what do you think the chances are of a, a general overhaul of the tax codes that they keep talking about? You know, about? I, I really don't see it. Uh, all they do is paste Band-Aids around the edges, and, you know, they're so busy fighting with each other that I, I don't really see any major changes. I mean, you know, each side has their own pet projects or pet proposals and 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 the administration and the president has proposals and none none of them went through or either so yeah (laughs) i I don't think anything major is happening we're not going to see a 1986 tax act probably for for the rest of our lives well in that case and by 86 i mean a major overhaul right well why don't we take a quick break here and when we return jim and ed will continue the conversation Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks featuring the expert advice from CPA attorney and retirement and estate planning expert Jim Lang. More coming up right here on KQV. The Lang Money Hour continues on KQV AM 10. For all your financial needs, turn to the Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill. For more information, visit online at paytaxeslater.com. Let's talk more smart money. And welcome back to the Lang Money Hour. I'm David Baer, here with Jim Lang and Ed Slot. So, you know, uh, that the spot that folks just heard about your December 7th workshop in DOMA is, why don't we have a little talk about that now? Well, I think it's going to be an important talk. It's going to follow the December 4th radio show with Evan Wolfson. And Evan is more of a civil rights attorney, which, and by the way, very, very eloquent, uh, articulate, uh, voted one of the most hundred influential uh, people by Time Magazine in the world, uh, so a very important person. Then December 7th workshop is going to be more of a how-to and what same-sex couples in Pennsylvania should be doing to protect their families and their security and their retirement plans. Um, and then we, we actually have an article that's actually at outestateplanning.com that talks about some of the impact of DOMA and what Pennsylvania off, what Pennsylvania residents and same-sex couples should be thinking about. So, so one of the things before we get back into the meat of the show is I just did want to mention two fabulous resources for our listeners, uh, both books by Ed Slott. One, probably not getting anywhere near the readership it deserves because this generation doesn't read about retirement plans and funding their future. But Ed has a great book that perhaps could be used as a gift called Fund Your Future, a tax-smart savings plan in your 20s and 30s. Um, 
you know, I, I think that as a parent, I would love my kids to read this book, internalize the book, and then actually do what it says. Um, Ed, do you, do you find there are many children that are interested, or do you think that this is more the kind of thing that the child isn't going to buy? When I say child, I mean adult child, but that that mom or dad or even grandpa will buy for their children. Well, this is, as you said, for I wrote this specifically for uh, adult children in their 20s and 30s, because those years are the biggest transition years. You get out of college, hopefully one day, <laughs> and <laughs> if you have kids, you know what I mean. I, I Maybe do. Maybe I'll go and take that master's. Maybe I'll take a master's. You know, I'm switching. Maybe I'll go. What about a doctor? What about this? You know, go to work already, you know? <laughs> But eventually they will get out of college, I assure you, uh, either, you know, either time or running out of money or something. And they have transition. They get their first job, hopefully. Uh, they might get married or maybe they have a, uh, getting having children, buying a house. There's so much that happens in those years. And the thing is, the last thing on their mind is saving for retirement because that's for old people. So that's why I wrote this book, because the single biggest money-making asset any individual can possess is time. And young people have more of it than anyone else, and mostly they squander it, especially when it comes to preparing for retirement. That should be capitalized on, and that's why I wrote that book. It's a very simple book. It's only, uh, I don't even know how many pages, but I, you know, I, I took into account that they can't pay attention to anything for more than five <laughs> minutes without looking at 14 other uh, devices, if you know what I mean. I do. So, and, and it has larger print and pictures, so if they can't you know, focus on, on one thing at a time, they can look around in the book. Anyway, uh, it, it could probably be read in an hour or two, but there's a very powerful message, and it's all around the concept I just said, that time is money, a compound interest. I think Einstein called it the eighth wonder of the world. And if you combine that with tax-free growth in a Roth IRA, it is powerful. You know, I've done illustrations for people uh, with Roth IRAs, and I've done illustrations where I say, even if you didn't put one dime in uh, to a 401k for your whole life, you know, or you did, or you spent all of that money, but you did, say, 5000 a year, you know, this is once you're working, and you did that for, I'm doing it now, actually, while we're talking on the phone. You did that for 40 years. If you just put, you did nothing else, every dime and every other, every other source of money you made, you spent. Because there are issues when you're going through all those transitions. And you do tend to spend every dime that comes in. But if you just took off the top 5000 a year, and actually the number is 5500 this year for under 50, but say just 5000 if I compounded that at 6% and you did that for 40 years, let's say you started at age 25, you got your first job and all of that, and you did that to 65, uh, you would have over $800,000. If you put that in a Roth IRA and you did nothing else, at 65 you'd have $800,000, more than 800000 tax-free. And I think that's, that's a, a retirement account. If I, you did nothing else, that's the power of compound interest. And most people look at, well, how could that be for just five thousand? And I did it at a pretty low rate, considering I carried it over forty years. 
you know, and here's the big difference. Let's say somebody else, I'm just changing it now to 30 years. Let's say somebody started not at uh, 25, not but at, thir- at 25, but they started at 35. Do you know the amount is cut almost in half to about 400,000? Now, what, what is 5,000 times those 10 years? They only put in $50,000 less. But yet, the return at sixty-five is about four hundred thousand dollars less. So the, the the lesson is to start early. Right. That's the power of compound interest. But wait, there's more. I learned that from public television. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody actually started, this is a little out there, but I'm just which you know. But sometimes people have to know. What if somebody started magically? They at, at age fifteen. I don't know what 15-year-old could put away 5000 a year, but let's say they did. They had a, a job somewhere, just to make the point. So now we have 50 years to 65. Remember, when it was 40 years, it was about 800000 Those extra 10 years, because they're on the early end, from 15 to 25, that person would end up with a million five hundred thousand tax-free at 65. Now that's double the 800,000. So for putting in just 50,000 in the early years, you know, 5,000 a year for 10 years, that that return was over 800,000. Which brings up the possibility that parents can put money in. So let's say you have a 15-year-old who has a summer job or or maybe you can put them on your payroll or somehow Right, they, that's they, what I'm getting at. That's where that money comes from. Okay. But remember, I figured all this at what I consider a very low rate for a 50-year span, 6%. I'll bet it's more likely. Would you agree that's probably a very reasonable rate or overly conservative? Well, yeah. I mean, everybody right now wants to use low low rates because they're a little bit nervous because of the volatility in the market. But but, but over, over the last 70 years, the market has returned, you know, close to 10 so right, I, I did six. Yeah, so so I think that that is being conservative. Yeah. Um, so they, that's what I just told you, and that's the concept in Fund Your Future. So you show this to somebody who's not 15, but say 25, the power of starting early, paying yourself first, the old concepts, you know, old school. Take that money off the top, put it in a Roth IRA, and if you can get in a Roth IRA at work, do that too. Now the numbers I just gave you is if you did nothing else, no other savings, spent every dime. Can you imagine what these numbers would be if you had a Roth 401k at work too on top of a Roth IRA? Well, you're talking about a secure retirement for for the listeners' children and grandchildren, which I think is a major That's concern why to a, a lot of people. Like fund your future. That's why I wrote Fund Your Future. You put that in a, a stocking stuffer or whatever. It's a nice little book. But the power and the concepts in that book, and they've been tested over time. I didn't invent these things. It's math. Maybe you can get through to somebody to start early. And if they do, they will have a lifetime of savings that we never enjoyed and all tax-free in a Roth IRA. So it's safe to say that giving them financial acumen is better than giving them financial assets. You bet it is, if they use it. But they're more likely to use it because if it was a gift from a parent. And I have all those things that I just did. I happen to be in front of a computer screen now, so I just did the calculations on a program. But I have all of that in the book. 
and it is staggering. I know we all know about compound interest. I'm sure, Jim, you talk about it uh, to clients and their kids. But until you see the numbers like I just gave you, it, it's staggering. It, it, it is, and I think it's a, an important resource, and I think that a lot of parents should use it, whether it's a stocking stuffer or, of course, these days kids are reading it digitally. And, and very frankly, the version that I have um, is digital and um the other the other book that that I have right in front of me on my iPad, which um, is probably not not so much for the kids. In fact, I would say it's not, but it's actually for the parents. And, and and Ed, this is what I consider your classic book. I know you've written a lot of books, and I know that you've sold a lot of books. But in terms of my favorite book of yours, still has to be, and I know that you've done numerous editions of it is the retirement savings time bomb and how to defuse it a five-step program yeah that's still it has everything in there it's a little technical a little dense i have to say it may be tough to get through it's a lot of pages but that's got everything in there and if you follow those steps you will have a secure retirement and i'm a bigger believer actually even though you know i everything about me is iras in today's environment iras and I'm going to say this publicly, are a bad asset. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, now, this is revolutionary to hear Ed Slott yeah. say that IRAs I, are I a bad asset. It. You know, because I see, I don't see the future, but I see the trend that taxes, if you ask anybody, and anybody is an authoritative resource, there's the tax code and anybody. They're both authoritative. So if you ask anybody, <laughs> they will say taxes are going up. And you see it little by little. And why take a chance? So if taxes are going up, that means your IRA, as it goes up, even if you do well in the market, is actually going down because more of it is being owed back to the government. So the big plan for the future is to trim that down and turn it into tax-free income with a Roth IRA or, like I said before, life insurance. You've got to get to tax-free income, uh, tax-free sources uh, to, to improve the, your retirement savings and to keep more of the money you make. Well, that's that's two of the steps of your five-step program is to insure it and Roth it. Yeah, and it's still true. It's more. It's going to be more true as taxes start rising because as taxes start rising, your retirement savings, if it's in an IRA, remember that's well, the reason I call it a bad asset. It's loaded or what I call infested with taxes. And, and the and, only way to get them out is pay the piper now while rates are low and get it out of there. Well, a- anyway, I, I do highly recommend the resource, the Retirement Savings Time Bomb and how to defuse it, a five-step program. Um, with one very, very, very little minor exception, it is completely up-to-date, and the part that it's not is pretty much irrelevant. So I would say that that is one of the most up-to-date, uh, authoritative sources for IRA and retirement plan information. And that's a great book. It's a great book for every advisor to have, and it's a great uh, uh, basic fundamental book for advisors and for people that want to keep, protect their retirement savings from, I call it, the single biggest factor, taxes. Taxes are the single biggest factor that will separate people from their retirement dreams. And if they don't have a tax plan, they don't have a plan. Because you can make all the money you want in the market. I don't care if you make 30% a year. If you give half of it back to the government, what have you done? You built a savings account for Uncle Sam. And I don't even know if you know, but he's not your real uncle. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and then, then right before we do the break, I'm going to quote Ed to Ed. 
if you don't make a tax plan, the government will make one for you. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, what I usually say is, you, either you get you you make your plan or you get the government plan. Which plan do you want? Your plan or the government plan? Well, that's an obvious question. <laughs> so, anyway, let's take that one final break, and when we return, Jim and Ed will continue the conversation. The Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring the expert advice from CPA attorney and retirement and estate planning expert Jim Lang. More coming up right here on KQV. Money Hour continues on KQV AM 10. For all your financial needs, turn to the Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill. For more information, visit online at paytaxeslater.com. Let's talk more smart money. And welcome back to the Lang Money Hour with Jim Lang and Ed Slot. And we were just talking about Ed's uh, two of my favorite of Ed's books, uh, Fund Your Future, A Tax Smart Savings Plan in Your 20s and 30s, and we were talking about what a great gift stuffer or a great gift this would be for your for your children or grandchildren and the power of compound interest in, in retirement plans and Roth IRAs. And then the book for you yourself would be The Retirement Savings Time Bomb and How to Diffuse It, a five-step program, which is my favorite book of Ed's. And Ed, by the way, being the the really the top IRA expert in the in the country in terms of um, most objective criteria books sold speaking engagements etc cetera, etc cetera. but Ed right before we took a break we said something about you have a choice of making your own plan or taking the government plan could you be a little bit more specific please yeah when I do seminars for the public consumers I say I uh, sometimes I title them people say what's the title of your talk and I say it's called your plan or the government plan and I throw that question out to the audience and what do you think most people say do you want your plan or the government plan and obviously people say I don't want the government plan I don't even know what it is but I don't want that plan uh, and the government plan is the plan that's in effect if you do nothing. And actually, people say they don't want the government plan, but that's what most people get because they don't do proactive planning. They don't take the bull by the horns and do the planning they can do to create a, a stretch IRA, to create a tax-free retirement account, to create tax-free income, which they can all do. The tax code can be beat by things right in the tax code, by provisions that prov can turn taxable money to tax-free money, can turn a dollar of taxable money to $10 of tax-free. But people don't take advantage of it. So if you do nothing, you get the government plan, which means you sit around and wait basically till you say you're 70 and a half, and then the government will tell you how much tax it needs from you at that time. Because if you're going to wait for the government plan, the government can keep changing the tax rates. And the government might say at some point, uh, Congress uh, will say, you know what, we need money this year, taxes on your retirement account are 50%. And don't think it can't happen, because if you looked at the history of tax rates, we've had years of the 50s, 60s, 70s, up through the 80s, where it was 70, 80, 90 percent. I don't know if we'll see that happen, but Mark Twain had a great quote. He said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> and we might see big tax increases. So if you're going to sit around waiting for the government, that means the tax rate you'll be paying will be determined not by you, because it's not your plan, 
It'll be determined by the government sometime in the future when you need the money most, when you're retired, when you're not working, when you're the most vulnerable, that's when they'll tell you how much tax they need. Rather than you taking action now, creating your plan at known values, we know what the tax rates are today. You know exactly what it's going to cost today. So I would do the plan now based on your terms, make it your plan, not wait around for the government plan, which is loaded with uncertainty. Well, to switch gears a little bit, one of the things that um, I've always enjoyed about your newsletter is that you are on top of the cutting-edge tax changes and what some people should be proactively doing. Um, there was, as you know, the Supreme Court case that basically turned DOMA, which is the Defense of Marriage Act, on its head. And and I'll do a real quick summary, which basically said that the, the Supreme Court, and then in, an, in a subsequent ruling by the IRS, said that same-sex couples will be treated the same as opposite-sex couples in the United States for federal tax purposes. Could you elaborate a, about this a little bit? Because I think that this is, I mean, this is an area that's very important, I think, for same-sex couples. It's so important. We're going to do a radio show on it. I'm actually going to be doing a workshop um, on it on December 7th. Um, but I know that this has implications for people in states like New York where same-sex marriage is recognized and perhaps, and more importantly for a lot of our listeners, like Pennsylvania where same-sex marriage is not recognized. Can you tell us a little bit about the impact well, of Well, I DOMA? think a lot of Pennsylvania same-sex couples will be visiting New York. Well, in, fun, funny that you say that because that's actually one of my proactive recommendations. <laughs> Come for a weekend, get married, and under the federal law, if you're married, they have basically uh, something they call a state of celebration rule, where if you're married in a state that recognizes same-sex marriage, which New York does, then for federal tax purposes, you're married, which means you can file joint returns. You can do an IRA. We were just talking about it earlier. You know, the spouse can do an IRA rollover, which they couldn't do before. There's uh, benefits between spouses in the estate area, portability, uh, estate and gift tax transfers between spouses. Uh, fi like I said, filing a joint return, even making a, uh, a, a spousal IRA contribution. Oh, there are a lot of benefits. Now, you have to look at each situation. Everything's a double-edged sword. There's a, there's, there are some same-sex couples that might say, you know, we're both doing pretty well. We're, we have a nice income. We just calculated that if we get married tax-wise, we'll pay more. Because welcome to the world of marriage and the marriage tax penalty. Well, it, so it, it can go both ways. Well, I, I, I think you're right, and I think it, it is a case-by-case. Case. And then I just actually read an article in the New York Times that said there's a lot of same-sex couples who want the right to be married but don't want to marry themselves. They're comfortable with the way they are. Right. And right. But, uh, the, you know, uh, uh, not everything's about taxes. You know, if you want to get married to enjoy some of the survivor benefits, like even an ERISA to... Uh, to uh, the, the, for company plans to inherit somebody's 401k, have those kind of rights. And if you do get married as a same-sex couple, you're like all of us, you're in the soup, you're married, which means you can only file married joint or married separate. You can no longer file single, so you can't like toggle and go what's best for you. If you do get married, that marriage will be recognized for all of federal tax law and federal benefits, retirement, all of that, 
uh, income tax benefits, estate tax benefits, gift tax benefits will be recognized the same as any married couple. The only hitch is in a state like yours, they'll file a joint federal tax return if they elect to do so, but they may have to file separate single state tax returns. Right, but in Pennsylvania, that's certainly no big deal because the Pennsylvania income tax is fairly simple. One of the areas... Yeah, the hard part's paying it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. One of the areas that uh, you haven't mentioned that to me is very important, but right now, as I understand it, we don't have total clarification on how this will be treated, particularly for states like Pennsylvania uh, that do not recognize same-sex marriage, is the issue of Social Security and spousal benefits. To me, this is one of the most important ways to protect a spouse. So, right. for, so for example, even, even for opposite traditional same-sex couples, I and I've had a whole bunch of people on, including Jane Bryan Quinn, Jonathan Clemens, and a bunch of uh, Larry Kotlikoff, a bunch of Social Security experts, they are big fans of holding off on Social Security till later, bumping up the benefit that you're going to get oh, every me month. Too. I mean, if you do the numbers, it comes out to an 8% return for all those years. Right. And one of the reasons that it is a great thing to do, not only will you get that benefit, but if you then die, your spouse can then claim the hire of their Social Security or what you were collecting. So right. by you holding off and collecting more when you're 70, it, and, and let's just say for discussion's sake, you hold off, collect the highest amount at 70, then you die and your spouse survives you by 10 or 20 years, your spouse will get that higher income for that period. And That's a huge benefit. Uh, there are some big benefits. Like we were talking about Roth IRAs before. If you were not allowed to be legally married, that means your partner's two unmarried people, an unmarried couple before this law, and your partner inherits your Roth IRA, they can't do a Roth IRA spousal rollover. They would actually have to take, just like any non-spouse beneficiary, required distributions, even if they didn't need the money. Now that they're considered married, if they do get married, and they're married in a state that allows it, they could do a... the spouse, the surviving spouse now, can do a rollover, a spousal rollover of that Roth IRA and continue not to have to take distributions for the rest of their lives, building that account out uh, up uh, tax-free. And, and maybe you and I should go into the get married quick uh, in New York for Pennsylvania resident business, you know, kind of like the Las, the Las Vegas of crossing the state lines and getting a, a quick marriage. A travel business right there. <laughs> Um, but I, I think that that is a, a really important point. And, and by the way, we're actually going to do a we're actually doing three workshops for same sex couples on December seventh, and we'll go into this in detail. But the other thing that I did want to mention is, and even though the law isn't clear right now, um, that we are certainly hoping that one of the benefits will also be the social security benefit for spousal benefits for same-sex couples that would not be available if the same-sex couple does not marry. Yeah, well, I guess a lot. some of that has to be ironed out like anything new. But the big overall message is that if you're married in a state that allows same-sex marriage, it's allowed for all federal law. Right, which, which by the way, isn't really consistent with 
the way we've been thinking about things, because usually you think, well, the state law controls right, controls right. that. It's you know, different now, though. Pe- right. And pe- as you said earlier, the IRS really quickly came out with a ruling on that. Right, which I actually thought was terrific, because if no, no matter how you feel about it, you're, cer- you're certainly simplifying and you're making things much more clear for the taxpayer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not totally clear, but I think we're like 80, 90 percent of the way there. Well, I think it's going to be a great benefit, and that's what we're going to be talking about for basically... I think you'll have a great seminar and a great turnout. You know, sometimes when I talk about this, I just did a program on this for advisors, and they were looking at me like, that doesn't affect a lot of people. You know, they had that look. They didn't say that. And I said to them, think about this. This will affect more people than the federal estate tax, which is true, because most people don't have $10 million. Right. I I actually never thought about that myself. Um, Like we talk about estate planning all the time, the five and ten million exemption. How many people have more than that? And we talk about that all the time. That's what I said to these advisors. We're always talking about that. But this affects more people than that does. And and it also affects people in in the middle income and middle wealth category. Right. You know something? We are start. We are rapidly running out of time. No. <laughs> yeah, time goes quickly. And and what I thought I would do is, if you have any last thoughts for our listeners um, on either something that we've touched on or we haven't touched on, because I know that you always have pearls of wisdom for us. <laughs> well, here's the big message: tax free is always better. There's a big difference between tax deferred and tax free. Tax free means you won't pay tax on it yet. But you will, at some future time, at maybe a higher balance at a higher rate. Tax-free is always better. Your plan should be consistently, or do it in chunks, to move your tax-deferred accounts to tax-free territory, either over time, but do it consistently. You'll end up with more money, because tax-free money grows the fastest, because it's never eroded by taxes. Well, and with that, let's say thanks for listening to this edition of the Lang Money Hour, where Smart Money Talks, and thanks to Ed Slot for his IRA industry insights. He can be reached directly at his website, www.irahelp.com. Thanks also to the Lang Financial Group Program Coordinator, Amanda Cassidy-Swinesburg, and Amy, our KQV producer. Thanks for listening to the Lang Money Hour, where Smart Money Talks. Check out the show archives and listen on demand anytime at paytaxeslater.com. KQV listeners can receive free tickets to Jim Lang's Pittsburgh area workshops and more. Call the Lang Financial Group at 412-521-2732 and reserve your seats and meet Jim Lang in person. Or visit paytaxeslater.com. That's paytaxeslater.com.